So you've had Thanksgiving, maybe some of you. Some of you are waiting to have Thanksgiving because you haven't got your arguments written fully that you want to argue about around the table. Um, but you, uh, you, know, you just know that there are some things uh, you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving table. Uh, it just wouldn't be wise. Uh, because you think you're right about them. And you disagree with your family members and who also think they're right about that. But you can't both be right if you disagree. Here's the, what do you know you're right about? What are you absolutely certain you're right about? Now, some of us might have a list there. Some strong opinions about anything, really. You can just pick it. I'll tell you one of mine. You can call the year 2000 the year 2000. Everything after that is 2001, 2002, 2003. And it's about to correct itself. But for 20 years, we've been saying the years wrong. We've been saying, you know, back in 2014, we didn't say 1,914. We said 1914. 2014. And now we're almost to 2020, which everyone's calling 2020. And, it, and the world will, the matrix will reset. We will be correct again. Unless, for some reason, because I've said it on this stage, people in this church will start saying 2020. You're going to get to 2,149 eventually. I feel passionately about that in ways that sh shouldn't happen. <laughs> but even back in... 2005, I was like, we didn't say 2000, we didn't say 1905, we said 1905, it's just the way it works. And no one would listen to this crazy man's ramblings. So I don't even bring it up at Thanksgiving. Until now. But I'm just, I'm looking forward to 2020 in a way that's unhealthy. So that's something I'm right about. And I can't be argued out of it, I don't think. So you may have yours, and it may be small, it may be big. See, I know that's a small thing, but I've invested so much in it, it's a big thing. But here's the, I think, a very important question. What are you wrong about? What are you incorrect about? What do you misunderstand? What do you think is true? What do you think is firmly true, but then it isn't? You know, I think if we were honest, there's times we would say nothing. Because you don't know what you're wrong about until you realize you're wrong about it. And then you're instantly right about it again. We rarely feel the pain of our own incorrectness. 
Because we can be incorrect for decades. And then once we've been corrected, we feel correct again. You didn't feel how incorrect you were for decades. But then once you were corrected, immediately, I'm correct again. We don't actually feel the pain of being wrong, because as soon as we do, we're right again. And it's a common problem in the human condition is that we don't understand our inherent incorrectness, our inherent wrongness. We are just, we are wrong about something. You are wrong, I'm wrong about something. And as soon as I figure out what it is, I'm going to try to be right about it again, and then all of a sudden I'm right again. But wise people aren't people who don't, or who know everything. Wise people are people who know that they don't know everything. And operate with a, just an understanding that I don't have it all right. I don't have it all together. I haven't figured out all the information that I need to figure out. And that's why I have to lean on Jesus. That's why I have to find grace in Jesus. That's why I have to be forgiven. I grew up in a world where, um, where you, that like the only sin that, you, that was unforgivable, actually we had a longer list than this one, but there was the only sin, one of the most, like Jesus could not forgive you for, for misunderstanding Scripture. Do you hear that? We, we would get in arguments with people who, who, who understood Scripture differently than us, and we would say, they aren't Christian. Because they don't understand it the way I understand it. Well, what does that mean? That means that if you, if you don't understand Scripture properly, you aren't a full Christian. But what does that imply when I say, well, that I am? It implies I understand Scripture properly. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. 100% down the line, I've figured it out. I've got it all together. I, and it turns out it's what my mama and daddy thought, and it's what their mama and daddy's thought. Lucky for us, right? We actually didn't have to do any mental uh, like self self thinking or like self-evaluation, we just got to float along in the lazy river of life down to salvation. Thank God. My great-grandfather was right. So that my grandfather would be right, and my mother would be right, and now I am right. And then I am a true Christian because of my rightness. And then we used verses like this to get our, to, to claim our rightness and draw lines as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, the whole first part of Ephesians, he's talking about that Jesus, Jesus overcame sin with, his, with the cross, overcame death with the tomb, and now he's overcome division with the, with the throne because Jesus reigns that the Jews and the Gentiles can be made one again. He's talking about unity. 
He says, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. Now, the calling, if we understand Ephesians 1 through 3, right, is a call to unify in the name of Jesus. To, for the Jews and Gentiles, all peoples, all nations, all tribes to be unified under this one head. And you need to live a life worthy of that. Get, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then we would take this verse. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all and through all and in all. And we would use that verse to then say, and that one is us. People who disagree with me are not the part of the one church. People who, do, who, who, who understand things differently than I do are not following the one Lord or aren't part of the one spirit. And then Church of Christ, we'd say, whatever that is. But you hear that whole verse in context about unity and peace and humility and then picking up verse 4, and four through 6 and running with it and saying, we're the best! One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. But you're wrong about something. If, if, if we're going to make living like a Christian, if we're going to turn that into just being correct about the Bible, then none of us have a shot. Because we're reading a translation of an ancient document written in a context we don't know to a people whose customs we don't understand, to people with idioms and sayings and phrases that we don't know right off the top of our head. Who are the Nicolaitans? What does Gnosticism have to do with Ephesians? I'm not saying you have to know the answers to these questions, but I'm pretty sure you don't. And that's okay. Because as he's going to say later, some were meant to be teachers and some were meant to be this and that. We're not all going to have the same gifts. There's one body. And he's going to go on to say there's, that that body's made up of a bunch of different types. And he's already said that that body has been made up of a bunch of different types. But there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord. Uh, one Lord is a way of saying one king. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father. And listen, of all. Doesn't those, those, those little words change how we've always used this scripture? We've, we've used the unification creed of the New Testament, of the first century church, the one Lord, one faith. This seems to be something that they said often. Because Paul, uh, Paul says this in Colossians. He says something similar in 1 Corinthians. We've used the unity creed to divide. 
And not just to divide, but to divide selfishly. We want, we want the one understanding of Scripture to be the one I already have. That's the easiest way to understand Scripture. Well, I think it, so therefore it is. That's my favorite, my favorite thing someone says about when someone says about someone, well, she, she says what she thinks. He says what he thinks. I don't think he thinks about what he thinks. I don't think people should say what they think without first examining what they think. I don't think that's a positive quality. I feel like that compliment is the same compliment as like, well, Eric's Eric. <laughs> when you don't have anything say to, good to say about somebody, so you just say their name again. Uh, Benjamin's Benjamin. Kind of means I'm a jerk, doesn't it? <laughs> but we, we use this one body, one spirit to, to talk about how we've got it right? That's nonsense. Look at, look at the, the verses prior. As a prisoner of the Lord, as someone who's been captured and is in, in indentured servitude or slavery to the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling of the unification of the salvation of the, of the resurrection you've been called to. You've received this. Now live a life worthy of it. Be completely, completely, perfectly humble. And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. You can't have an atmosphere of get it rightness where everybody's got to get it right, and also have an atmosphere where bearing with one another in love is essential, where humility is essential, where gentleness and patience is essential. Every effort to keep the, the sanctity of the doctrine. Isn't, isn't, he's not saying here that there's going to be one group of people that gets it all right. Make the every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of of peace. This isn't how we function, is it? Now, this may be an ideal. It may be something we say, um, I absolutely want this to, this to be the way it is. Oh, but that girl, I don't like her. Did you hear what she said to me? Oh, that guy seems... Seems like he's got it all together, but let me tell you about him. He is evil and wrong. We, we pretend like we want peace, but we refuse humility. We pretend like we want unity but we refuse to bear with one another in love. We pretend that we want this one group that follows Jesus, but our patience is thin and our gentleness is absent. 
that Jesus dreamed of a kingdom that followed him and that there was no distinction between, like, the, 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 the thing that joined us was stronger than the things that divided us. But when I can find something that divides me from you, guess who is exalted? Me. I'm the one that wins. When I can say, well, they're not, they're out, and I'm in. I've never, I've never met somebody who thought that only one group was going to heaven and they weren't in that group. Right? I mean, no one ever says, no one ever says, ah, uh, oh, the Church of Christ, they're the only ones going to heaven. Oh, do you go to the Church of Christ? No, I'm Assembly of God, but I just know. We, we have been called to unity, and it's not just that we're, we, we are called to seek it, bearing with one another along the way in a spirit of love, in a spirit of patience, in a spirit of gentleness. And so that when we proclaim, when we, we make every effort in the, uni, in the, in, in the spirit to un, be unified and to be not uniform, unified through the spirit of peace, then we can proclaim about God that there's one body and one spirit. We can proclaim about Jesus that we, in Jesus we have one hope. We've been called to this one king, one faith. There's one baptism, one God and Father of all, all the people. He's the Father of all the people who is over all and through all and in all. We do not lift up ourselves and say, one Lord, one faith, and there we are. We say there's one God. One Father, one faith, one baptism, one Lord of all, one hope to which we've been called, one spirit, one body of Christ, and we are not to be exalted because of that. Jesus is to be exalted because of that. What we're, what we're doing when we say all of these things about the oneness is praising Jesus for what he's done, not praising ourselves for what we've gotten right. Praising the Father for uniting his children. Praising Jesus for uniting his people. For ruling over Jews and Gentiles alike. Every race, every tribe, every people, every language. Finds a home in Jesus. That's how good God is. And God help us when we make this verse about how good we are. How we've gotten it right. How I'm the one in charge. I'm the, you don't know what you're wrong about, so just ask for grace and forgiveness from God. And hopefully we grow and learn, but when we sit in the kingdom of God, we will figure, we will know things we didn't know here. And hopefully that's not a surprise. One of the things we try to talk about, uh, Rachel and I talk about as parents, is um, someday our kids are going to realize that we don't know everything. 
And when they do, I don't want them to think they're the only ones in the room thinking it. That they're the only member of the family who goes, Dad doesn't know everything, and no one seems to know. I want them to know, oh yeah, Dad knows he doesn't know everything. Um, Dad knows he's not perfect. And when people come to this church, and this is one of the things that I think about, that I, that I thank God about this church for, is no one's under the assumption that we've got it all together. Um, no one's under the assumption that we've figured it all out. We just follow Jesus. Just the way of Jesus here. And the way of Jesus leads to unity. It doesn't lead to correctness. It leads to unity. And the way of Jesus lives, le leads to forgiveness. It doesn't lead to perfection. It leads to forgiveness. And the way of Jesus leads to resurrection. It doesn't, it doesn't lead to absolute health and absolute uh, like e eternal life just without dying. We're going to die, but... We're going to overcome it. That one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope. The first century used it as a, the first century Christians used it as a reminder of what Jesus did. And so we want to use our church like that. To remind ourselves this unity that we have is not because we, all, we are all the same, but because of what Jesus did for us. So you want, you want to be a part of that? You want to join the mission of God, the people of God, the unified, saved, forgiven, soon-to-be-resurrected people of God. Today's your day. Because there's one king. If you, want to be, if you want to decide to put your trust and your faith in that one king, we will unite you in his death, burial, and resurrection through the one baptism. And God will do great things with not so great people. And thank God that we don't have to be perfect to correct 100% correct. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just know that there's one Lord. And that one King, He is perfect. He does have it all figured out. Let's unite with Him. So if you need the church to pray for you, pray with you, if you want to be united in His death, burial, and resurrection, just anything. You just don't even know what it is. You just feel the Spirit of God pulling you to come forward. Don't ignore what God wants you to do today. Please come forward while we stand and while we sing.